Um, Jonathan is going to come and uh, unpack God's word for us in a moment, but I'm going to uh, read for us now uh, a few verses from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, um, starting at verse 3 and uh, reading on to verse 14. And in my Bible, it's entitled Spiritual Blessings in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his great pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these wonderful words. Um, and I just ask now that you would really anoint Jonathan as he comes to unpack them for us. Fill him afresh with your Holy Spirit. Inspire him to uh, um, speak out the truth of this, uh, the living water of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. Just before we actually um, look at those words together, just three very quick things. Firstly, as a leadership team, we'd really value your prayers. This coming Saturday, we're going for an away day, just taking some time out um, to go and pray and seek God for um, the coming season of church life. Secondly, it's always good to give thanks to God for answered prayer, isn't it? And a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, we were praying for Jude's daughter, Holly, um, who was going for a job interview. Now, God has made a way open for Holly to be involved in the most amazing um, work um, that she is going to be doing. So just let's give thanks to God for that. And thirdly, if you've got a very, very good memory, it's not long since we looked at the book of Ephesians, probably three years ago, which to me seems like both yesterday and about four decades ago. Um, so I have not looked at my old notes or copied them, so this is not the same sermon. So if you can remember it, you're doing better than me. But let's pray again before we open this incredible passage of God's Word together. Lord, I want to pray that today, as we look at your Word, that our identity will be found in you. Lord, that in a world that seems increasingly chaotic and increasingly insecure... 
Lord, your church has been there before. We have weathered these storms before, and we pray today that as we open your word, we may once again find that you are the rock on which we can build our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you ever look in the mirror and think, is that really me? (laughs) Do you ever do that? Please nod at me, otherwise you'll make me feel awful. You think, do I really, really look like that? That's not me, by the way, looking in a mirror, just in case you were wondering. Or I wonder if you ever look in the mirror more metaphorically and think, who on earth am I? Who am I? Or I wonder if you ever think, well, what do people think I am? Who do other people think I am? We all have a sense of identity, don't we? We all have a sense of who we are, and it's built up from a whole list, myriad of things. Society, today's culture, talks about identity in loads of different ways. We think about it in terms of who we are in family roles, occupations, qualifications, titles, politics, gender, sexuality, what food we eat, the music we listen to, what clothes we wear. The list could go on and on and on. Now, we've just been away on holiday, and we were in the car for quite a while, sort of traveling around, and we often... um, well, we have disputes in the car as to what radio we listen to, but then we do put the radio on. And then you end up with the adverts on the radio. And they seem to have the same one ad infinitum. Now, there was one that kept coming on over and over again for Ocado. I don't know if you've heard this advert. There's an Ocado just for you. It's resonated, doesn't it? We're tools of advertising, aren't we? And it's just for you. Just for your identity. Just for the things that you like in life. Identity. Who are we? Well, if you want a nice pithy phrase to understand what psychologists say about our identity, just take this one for size. A person's identity is defined as the totality of one's self-construal in which one construes oneself in the present, expresses the continuity between how one construes oneself and how one was in the past, and how one construes oneself and one aspires to be in the future. Well, thank you, Peter Weinrich. That really clears that one up nicely. I think what he's saying is we are, our identities, who we have been, who we see ourselves being now, and what we aspire to be in the future. I think that's what he's saying. He just uses lots of long words. So who do you see yourself as being? Where are you rooted? Who are you? Who are you? Well, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he's writing to the church, or more likely the churches in Ephesus, probably a scattering of house churches in this really glittering cosmopolitan city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the second city to Rome in the ancient world. For a thousand years, it had been a great Greek city. For 200 years, it had been under Roman rule. It was dominated by the great temple of Artemis, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And for the average Ephesian let alone Christian Ephesians, there was a lot of identity issues. Who are we? Are we Greek? Are we Roman? Are we going to be linked with this temple, or are we going to do something else? But for these early, these fledgling Christian communities, as Paul writes to them, these communities with no history, no great buildings, nothing physical to show for who they were, where did their identity really lie? And so what does Paul do? Well, he starts off by talking about praise. Don't talk about yourself to start with. Start off 
by praising God. If you've got a Bible in front of you, or you've got your phone with the verses, just keep this open, because these are incredible words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Start with praise. Declare who God is, and then look what Paul does. He goes on in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose us in him. One of Paul's great themes is about being in Christ, being found in Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Messiah, about having our identity, not in all these human constructs, but about who Christ is and his finished work. And you can almost imagine Paul talking to the church in Ephesus saying, you know, that temple down the road, it looks impressive. There are thousands of people who go to it. Well, that looks impressive as well. Look at the business center in Ephesus. It's heaving with people. Look at the baths in Ephesus, the Roman baths. You know, you can go and hang out in the gym every day and do all those kind of things. That is not your identity. All that stuff is temporary. You go to Ephesus now, it's ruins. Nobody lives there anymore. It's all gone. But your foundation is being chosen in Christ. You are chosen and you are blessed by the Father. What an amazing sense of identity. Now, the minute we talk about being chosen and the minute we see that word predestination in our Bibles, it can be one of those times when we think, right, I need to look really intelligent now. I need to think that I've got all this sorted. Or we can think, oh, I hope we skip over this bit very, very rapidly. Being chosen This doctrine of election, as if you want the technical jargon for it, and predestination, primarily in Paul's thinking, it is not about philosophical musings about what God knows about free will and how that works with predestination. Although there's good questions and good conversations to have about that, for Paul, the doctrine of being chosen is about encouragement and about knowing God is sovereign. It's about knowing that God is who he says he is and that we are are found in him. If we know that we're chosen and we know that we're God's people, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter how chaotic things look, no matter how impressive other people look and how fragile we feel, we are God's chosen people. We are the ones who are blessed by the Heavenly Father. We are the ones in Christ who are called. You can imagine Paul saying, you know, forget all that stuff, forget Rome, forget all that power that looks so impressive. It's in weakness, in the gospel, that you are chosen. And Paul goes on to remind the Ephesians what this means. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, through the sacrificial death of Christ, through Jesus' finished work. We are bought back, bought back from death, bought back from sin, bought back from all that which would separate us from God, both now and eternally. Verse 7, it also talks about forgiveness of sin through his blood. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In Christ, we are now free from the self-harming effects of sin. We are free to love. We are free to be the chosen people we have been named as being. But often, I don't know if you find this, there is a huge gulf between who God says I am in him not of my own merit, but in him, in Christ, through Christ, and what I name myself. I don't know if you find that. God is not impacted by insecurity. God is not impacted by sin, by changeability. God's naming of us isn't made with self-interest or other agendas, but it's out of eternal love that he has for us. 
God has named us chosen. We are dearly loved, forgiven children. But we can easily tell ourselves a different narrative. We can tell ourselves that we're, we're, we're something different, and we can base it on lies we've told ourselves, hurts that have been spoken over us, relationships that have soured our experience. And whereas God says, look, you are chosen, you are loved, you are accepted, we can find ourselves taking on labels such as meaningless, unlovable, or rejected. Whereas God in Christ by faith wipes our sin away, we can wear false labels of guilt, unable to forgive ourselves. Whereas Christ actually says, I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you. Anybody use the version app on their phone? <clears throat> Just stick your hand in the air if you do. Oh, one or two. Yeah, yeah, the version Bible. Anyone signed up for their um, email thing? Yeah. So you probably had a sneak preview of what I'm going to, to show you. But a co- about a week ago, I decided on what I was talking about this morning and all about being chosen and our sense of identity. And then this email came through from version about identity and about being chosen. And it just seemed to really fit. So here's just a little bit from um, what that email said. It said, what we tell ourselves every day matters. If we believe something about our identity that isn't true, then we will struggle to believe what God says about us when he reveals it to us. Truths, and this is the truths of God's word, are unchanging. They don't depend on what you do, what you've done, or who you want to be. Truths are not self-help mantras or cliche sayings. They are based entirely on God's word and what he says about you. While there will always be areas of life where you'll need to grow, how God views you and what he says about you doesn't change because God affirms who you are, not just what you do. God affirms us in Christ. For the Christians in Ephesus, just as for us, Paul speaks this truth to us. In Christ, we are chosen from before the foundations of the world. God is sovereign. God has a plan. God is in control. We are chosen in him. Question, do we believe what God has said over us? Do we believe it? Does it resonate deep within us? Or do we believe the constructs that we've made for ourselves about our identity? Do we believe that in Christ, this is who we are? Do we celebrate it? Are we people who get excited by what God has said? Or are we all terribly polite and think that this isn't something we should shout about? See, for the church in Ephesus, this church, they needed to hear it. They needed to hear it in their context. And I think for us, in our world, that is increasingly difficult. We need to be reminded of these great truths. So we're chosen. We're also sealed. You know, words don't mean a great deal if you just speak them out without action, do they? Now, we can all fall into the trap of sounding good, but then not actually enacting the things that we've said. I don't know how often you found yourself doing this, saying, oh, I'll give you a ring. We must catch up and go for coffee. And then you find the months pass, and it's totally slipped your mind. Or you say, oh, I'll pray for you, and then you forget all about it. And actually, the words just ring hollow. It's our eldest, Timothy's um, 16th birthday, in a couple of weeks' time. I don't know where those years have gone. Um, But just after Timothy was born, somebody in our church at the time said to us, not once, but on a number of occasions, we'd love to come round and see you and get a present for your baby. 
16 years on, we're still waiting for that person to come round with a present for Timothy. He probably wouldn't fit in a baby suit anymore. But it's easy, isn't it, to think that actually I don't do this. I do, I, I do what I say I will, but actually we all do it. We all speak things and then don't back them up with actions. God is not like that. God is not like that at all. What he speaks, he enacts by his word and by his spirit. So God has not just said nice words over us and said, oh, you're chosen, you're this, you're that, or the other. He has enacted by his spirit and come to live inside of us. Look at verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I remember as a kid reading that verses and thinking, what have seals got to do with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> if you're thinking of the animals, absolutely nothing at all. Um, this is about the seal that was placed on a letter, the wax seal that said who it was from in a sense of identity. And also at this period of history, um, slaves, cattle, other livestock, they would be marked with a seal to say who they belonged to. And it was a permanent mark that couldn't be erased. And this is what God says over us. If you are in Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you are following him in repentance and faith, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's not an external marker like like the Jews had in, say, circumcision, but it's a heart marker. God has come in and taken up residence. Now, I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there is always a danger that it can be confusing. I I think um, it's one of those sort of um, things that we talk about and we can end up taking passages in isolation and put human constructs over the top of the Scriptures. But just to say that the, the, the New Testament doesn't know of true followers of Jesus who don't have the Holy Spirit. If we follow Jesus, we are sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit has taken up residence. But what that doesn't mean of itself is that every Christian lives in the fullness of the Spirit, or that every Christian is necessarily seeking the continuous infilling of the Spirit that we're told to do in the book of Ephesians. And what we find the Bible does know of is Christians who, yes, they're sealed, but they become lukewarm. You look at that in the book of Revelation and the letters to the churches. Or the Christians who fall into the pattern of grieving the Holy Spirit, we see that in Galatians, who don't seek the continuing infilling of the Spirit in Ephesians, or that neglect or abuse the gifts of the Spirit that we see in Corinthians. But when we walk in step with the Spirit, when we know that we're sealed, we know that we're chosen, when we seek that continuous work of the Spirit in our lives, God will do amazing things. God will do amazing things. These are the promises of God's Word. Here's just a few instances of what God will do by his spirit. He will give us boldness. Give us boldness. Look at this from Acts 4 verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you want to speak the word of God boldly? We need the Holy Spirit to do it. We need the Spirit. It always amazes me that verse. It's just like the way that it says the place was shaken as if it's just a a normal thing that happened. How would we react if the Holy Spirit shook us to the core in that kind of way physically? How would we react? This is what the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts. It's the same Spirit that is available to us now. In Jude 1, 20 to 21, causes us to pray God's will. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Until Jesus returns, we pray in the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, we begin to understand God's will and we pray God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. 
The Spirit moves us to obedience. This is from the Old Testament from Ezekiel. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's not trying harder that does that. It's the Spirit that does that. When the Holy Spirit who has sealed us, when we walk in step with the Spirit, we start to do those things that God calls us to do. And the Spirit is to be listened to. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in step. Do the things that the Spirit leads us to do. There's that image, you know, walking. If you're walking alongside somebody, you naturally talk to them, don't you? Um, I went out for a, a long walk. Sorry, Nathaniel, to mention this, but me and Nat went for a walk um, all the way down Dovedale the other day, and it was a 16-mile walk. And you find when you're walking alongside somebody for that length of time, you almost talk continuously. You're walking in step. You have to go at more or less the same speed. And I don't know what we talked about, all kinds of random things, but you talk. Walking in step with the Spirit. If we're walking with the Spirit, that's what happens. We start to communicate with God. We get to know what it is that God wants. Words in God's economy are based up with tangible actions. We are chosen, we are called, and we are called to walk in step with the Spirit who has sealed us. Well, these last 18 months, and Scott has already mentioned this in the prayers, you know, they have been incredibly disorientating, I think, for many of us, all of us probably. Many of us have begun to question things about our lives and what are the things that matter the most. Many ministries across the UK and across the world have have either been temporarily or sadly in some cases permanently silenced. Jobs have been furloughed, many jobs have been lost, friends and families haven't seen each other for many months. And that's even before we get onto the health impacts of a pandemic. But as we get back to the autumn, as we get into this new term, As we turn over a new leaf, it always feels like that at the beginning of a a new term. What is our identity now? And how are we going to live as a result of that? What is that going to mean for you as an individual, for us as a church family? Are we going to take God's word seriously as we step into whatever this new season brings? And we don't yet know what that means. But are we going to take God's word seriously and take those names that God has spoken over us that we are chosen, we are called, we are loved, we are accepted? Are we excited that we are God's sealed people? We have his mark of the Holy Spirit in us if we have said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all that remains true until Jesus returns in glory or he takes us to be with him. And all of this, the passage ends, it's all to the praise of God's glory. It's not self-help. It's not cliches, but it's so that God can be praised. As we go into this term, are we going to be those kinds of people? It's my prayer that I will be, that you will be, and that collectively we will be those who know who we are and know the purpose to which we're called. Can we pray? And I'm just going to pray very simply that the Holy Spirit will fill us again, refresh us, and enable us to be those people that God has named us and called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us your chosen people. In Christ, not through what we've done, but through what he has done. We thank you that you have named us. We thank you that you have sealed us. We thank you that we are yours. And Lord, I just want to pray as the scriptures say that your spirit will once again fill us up and enable us to do all those things you have called us to do. To live in obedience, to follow you, to walk in step with you, 
to proclaim who you are boldly. Lord, this is what your word says. And I just pray that as a church family today, we will once again submit ourselves to you as head of the church and listen to your word and trust it and believe it. So I'm just going to leave a a moment of silence. Maybe that you need to do your own business with God at this point to to seek the Lord in some way. And then I'll just pray again before um, Simon leads us. God's word says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Lord, we thank you for the truths in your word. We're sorry for the times when we name ourselves differently to how you have named us. Lord, help us to find our deepest identity in you and help us to keep in step with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would keep filling us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name and for his glory, to his praise, that we ask it. For Jesus' sake.